You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Good morning. I'll just get situated here, empty my pockets. How are you guys doing today? Yeah? A few good, a few quiet. It's all right. Thank you. Um, guys, we have been going, for those of you who don't know, we've been spending some weeks exploring this idea of the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, this is a phrase that Jesus uses often. Uh, to be exact, he's recorded 114 times referring to the kingdom through all four gospels. And so it was a big deal to Jesus. Uh, you know, we have been raised, if you've been in church for some time, you're maybe raised on this just simple message of Jesus died to forgive you of your sins so you could go to heaven when you die. Anybody ever heard essentially that? Okay. Uh, and and there, is, there is some beautiful truth to that, but it is a portion of the message. It is not the full good news. This idea of the gospel of the kingdom is that this, this gospel is good news. And we've been looking at that that good news was actually like an idea in the Roman Empire that when the, when the empire went into new territory or when a victory was won, they would announce the good news of the kingdom, of the kingdom of Rome. And it was this idea that, that now that you've been conquered by us, things are going to be better for you. Uh, we're, gonna, we're, we're so much better than your previous king, and et cetera, et cetera. And it was this, this announcement that good things are coming because Caesar is Lord. What Jesus was going around saying was essentially, no, God is king. And as people came to see over time, they, became, they came to see that Jesus is Lord. And that is the controversial message that the early church carried throughout the world. And so what we're talking about is the rule and reign of God. And the rule and reign of God is good news. And, and you can think about this good news message in sort of, we're going to break it down into three parts. Creation, fall, restoration. And last week, we were looking at what we would put under the banner of creation. That God made a good world. And God made humans in his image, right? And with this very specific royal mandate to rule and reign, that, that the rule and reign of God would be expressed through these people that he made in his image, and that rule and reign would be expressed in actually going and cultivating beauty and order in what would otherwise be chaos, that this was the mandate for people. And so what we see is, is humanity was given this very uh, really, you know, significant task. And as a result of that significant task and that capacity that was put on humanity, uh, the world's destiny is deeply tied to humanity's walking out that task. Are you with me? This, this idea. So, so, so as goes with humanity, so goes the world. That's, that's the idea. 
And today we're going to be looking into the second part, the real, you know, um, fun. No, that's a joke, of course. But under the category of the fall, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's a lot here. We're going to probably go through a lot real fast. Uh, so buckle up. But before we go any further, I want Malachi to come up and he is going to read a big portion of scripture for us. So he's reading for us from Genesis 2. Look at this standing ovation you're getting. Genesis 2, verse, uh, what is it, 8 to 9, then verse 15 to 17, and then picking up in chapter 3, verse 1 to 13. And I'm going to ask you guys to do something uh, here. I'm going to ask you to stand as he reads the scripture to us. This is God's word, and I think it's good for us to stand as we hear it. You ready, Malachi? Good morning. <clears throat> now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will surely die. Now, three, one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may not eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat, it, eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Thank you, Malachi. You guys can take a seat. So, guys, there, there's, there's a ton in here. Uh, it is going to be something to try and cover it. But we're going to try, okay? And the first thing I want us to catch is the foundation for what we just read. The foundation of this story is that God made a very good world. Uh, when God finished this whole account that we read before this, right? That we, well, we didn't read today, but if you look before and we were looking at last week, he speaks over the creation that it's very good. It's filled with purpose. It's filled with design. It's filled with beauty. And, and in the midst of that beautiful, good creation, right, he placed us like I was referring to. And think of it in this term, in this idea, in this picture. Imagine the universe and the world and all that's in it as the canvas and the art supplies. And then God hands it to humanity and says, here you go. Join me in making 
more beauty. Join me in, in cultivating all that I have put within here that you can bring from it. And we can see that when we look throughout the earth. We can see beautiful, good things that humanity has been a part of creating. And all of it comes from the original art supplies that God provided. But we can also see a lot of pain. We can also see a lot of brokenness. And, uh, and there's some elements in this good creation. When we often talk about the Garden of Eden that Malachi was just reading to us about, we think about this term paradise. And what I want you to catch is that paradise had within it a few elements that maybe you would not have thought to include yourself. Uh, and paradise had in it work and rest. You might be like, man, if I was making paradise, there wouldn't be any work in it. You know, we, wouldn't, we would just be chill. No, there's actually something in our very nature as people that we're made to work. We're made to cultivate the garden and bring about this beauty and this goodness. The other thing that you'll see in this paradise is you will see need and provision. They needed food. There's a portion of the story that says that, you know, God saw that it was not good that Adam was alone. He needed a companion and God provided it. There was a need for relationship and connection with God. And so you have this dynamic of need and provision in paradise. And then you also have testing and options. Also a part of paradise, a part of the good world that God created. And I want us to just catch first this, this idea that in the design of humanity and in this paradise, we have within ourselves insufficiency and need. That's actually a part of the design. We require dependence. We require relationship. It's in your very nature as a human being. And the thing is, is that this flourishing that's supposed to happen through humanity happens in the context of relationship. Human flourishing happens in the context of relationship with each other and relationship with God. And that relationship is the very thing that sin destroys. Sin destroys and damages and diminishes our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And, and to see this, I want us to catch, you know, the, the tale of two trees that exists in the garden, in this narrative. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of pictures in this today. And like I said, we're going to go through a lot quick. But here we go. So first of all, we have this this tree of life that it says is at the center of the garden. And I want you to realize that this idea of a tree of life, it's not um, exclusive to scripture, to the Bible. This tree of life was actually a common motif in ancient culture. You will hear about a tree of life in Babylonian culture and Assyrian culture and Canaanite culture. These ancient cultures had this idea, this symbol of this thing called the tree of life. And right here in the Eden narrative, we have the tree of life in the middle of the garden. And there is this idea in this tree of life motif that it's this, this, this tree from which all of life and all that's needed to nourish the earth, earth flows from it. And there it is in the center of garden. Much like the presence of God was at the center of the temple for the people of Israel. 
So you have this tree that really represents God's life-giving presence at the center of the garden. And the life-giving presence of God is actually nourishing everything else. But what was beside the tree of life? It was right there in the text. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the same way the tree of life is a symbol for the, you know, the life-giving presence of God, the source of life itself, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it's a symbol of defining for ourselves, apart from God, what is good and evil. This, this, this knowing good and bad, it's actually speaking of a symbol that, that we would define it for ourselves, and we'll see that as the, as the story goes on, as was read to us. But here you have these two trees, side by side, at the middle of the garden. And the idea is that to eat from either tree, you would have to overlook or pass by the other. You, you would have to ignore the one to eat from the other. Are you with me? You know, to go to the tree of life, you have to go past the tree of knowledge and good and evil. To go to the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you have to pass by the tree of life. They're right there in the middle of the garden. And this is the very, you know, nature of human experience. We trust and enjoy and receive that which God has provided. Or we deny it and we define for ourselves that which is good and bad. The choice is always there. And it's, it's wild to me to live today and hear the very common mantra of, you know, you need to decide for yourself what is good and bad for you. Does that anybody ever hear something along those lines? And, and, and there is this, this very common notion that, that you yourself are the best source to understand that which is good and bad. And you need to define it for yourself. And this, this, this is the very idea that the tree of knowledge and good and evil represents. I'll read you a quote from a famous philosopher, John Paul Sartre, French philosopher, uh, died in 1980. He said this, There is no human nature because there is no God to have a conception of it. Man is nothing else but that which he makes of himself. And it's just, this is a common philosophical idea that we, we find permeating our world today. And yet we have here this beautiful picture of this beautiful earth that God has made. And in it is everything we need to flourish. It's right there, provided. And if God's design is so good and so obvious... What is it that causes us to end up choosing something else? Let's look at the text. We'll look at the story. What, is, what does it start to happen in chapter 3? We have this unusual encounter between Eve and a talking snake. Uh, and the snake represents this, 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 this force, this 
this other voice saying, no, 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 I got a better idea for you than what God has spoken. The very beginning of the trick, of the lie, starts with these words, did God really say? So here is, you know, Paul talks about that God and his attributes and his ways, they're obvious, they're evident in the world. In some sense, the world in which we live speaks to us the way things are and the way things are supposed to work. And yet there is a voice that says to humanity again and again and again, to you and I, in our experience, did God really say, is that really the way it's supposed to be? And he goes on and he says, you will not certainly die, right? And he goes on and he says, you know, God, God's holding out on you. This is just paraphrase now version, okay? But God is holding out on you. He doesn't want you to eat from this tree because if you eat from it, you're going to become like him. God's got good things he's withholding. And you need to take matters into your own hands. Notice he's promising that if you eat of this, you will become like God. What was established, what we looked at last week? They were made in the image of God. The deception and the trick is always built on doubting God's goodness. Every sin that you will find yourself pulled into in life has somewhere at its foundation a doubt in the goodness of God, a belief that he's holding out, and you need to take, it, take matters into your own hands. Uh, a wise man named Bruce Friesen, in the front row here, would often say to me this, sin is taking by force what God would give by grace. And we can see in the story that God, by grace, has given everything they need. And yet, here's this voice that comes and says, you need to take it. Take it for yourself. And notice that it says that the fruit was pleasing to the eye. It looked good. Like that that evil choice. It never presents itself to you as like, hey, here's some poison. You want to drink it? You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. It presents itself as good. It presents itself um, usually as, as easier or as better or as having the power to satisfy, but inevitably it ends up destroying us. If you're human, you probably know what I'm talking about. I know, like, in my own life, I have pursued peace oftentimes through, you know, diplomacy rather than courageous communication. And there's a place for diplomacy, but I'm using it in a, in a negative sense. There have been times where I... Where I hold back in fear from saying what I need to say clearly and courageously, and the fruit of it is actually greater friction and tension in relationships. It does not provide the peace that I thought it would. Maybe momentary, or to be, you know, super vulnerable and real up here, 
There have been times in my own life where I have believed that pornography would provide me with a satisfaction superior to real intimacy. And that's what it offers. It tells you it, it, it looks good. It looks satisfying on the front end. It says this is going to be easier, right? And that type of um, process goes on in our lives in all sorts of ways. These things get presented to us as having the power to satisfy that real need that you were created with. But the voice says, take matters into your own hands. Here, you don't, you don't have to go about it that way. Just eat, just eat this. You'll be good. You'll get what you want. You'll get what you need. But the result is what God said it would be. God says in the story, if you eat of this, you will what? Surely die. Or the NIV that we read says, certainly die. The translation from original, hey, I won't read too much into that. I'm tempted to do that, hey. The translation in original, original Hebrew that we say surely die or certainly die is die, die. It's double on the verb, die, die. If you eat of this fruit, you will die, die. The first command from God to humanity was eat, eat. Eat what? What he provided. From the trees that he said to eat from. In all of it, there was only one tree in the entire garden to not eat from. And in that thing, it presents a test. And a test that's important. Will you believe that Jesus is Lord? Well, Jesus isn't on the scene yet. Actually, this is Genesis 3. But, you know... Will you actually believe that God knows best? We have in this story and in this fall uh, a bit of a lordship complex, if you will. You know, I thought you said we were supposed to rule and reign, God. You know, and so, so I'm taking matters into my own hands. But no, that, that rule and that reign that God has designed to flow through humanity only flows rightly through right relationship with him. And he's Lord. We obey what he says. We lean in to understand what he says. Now, now God says if you eat of this fruit, you will die, die. Yeah, somebody said it. Die, die. You will die, die. Okay? Did they drop dead when they ate the fruit? No. That's in, that's in the story on purpose. You know, a lot of us will go, see, God doesn't know what he's talking about. This story's all messed up. You know, it's, you know, it's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to make you wonder. It's supposed to get you asking questions and reflecting. What do you, what do you mean, God? And think of this phrase, die, die, as dimensions of death. I, I ask my kids this question different times, and I often get, you know, those, oh, Dad. You know, your two philosophical looks or whatever. But anyway, you know, I'm like, are you living or are you dying? Right? Like, just think of life in those terms. Are you living or are you dying? And I remember one time our youngest said to me, well, probably if you're like past 40, you're dying. Because, <laughs> you know, you kind of reach the middle. And now you're going downhill, right? But, 
but the idea is, right, there's these, there's these, these dimensions of death and what it means to die. And I would present it to you this way, that that, that die-die is, is a process of dehumanization. The, the glory and the beauty of what you were made to be as an image bearer is being diminished. You're, you're, you're moving away from looking like God. The only way you actually embody that image of God in your life is through knowing him and relationship with him and connection with him. And we can see it, right? That die-die is manifest in that they all of a sudden become super self-focused and they're aware that they're naked. And then they feel the need to cover themselves. It's self-protection and self-preservation. And then we see fear and hiding and shame enter the life, enter the scene and the picture. And there's this, this sense in that eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a decision to, to, to choose autonomy over connection with God. To choose, I'm going to determine what's right and wrong. I'm going to choose what's good and bad for me apart from a relationship with God. Choosing self over God. Who is the source of life itself? We're, we're to grow in wisdom. We're to grow in understanding and discerning between good and evil. But it was supposed to happen, and it is supposed to happen, through walks in the garden with God. Right? It says they heard him walk through the garden. They went and they hid. There's this sense. God was like, I'm here with you. My presence is here with you. And I'm going to teach you, and you're going to learn as we go on this journey together. But that design... To be a, a, a place through which heaven flows to earth, through which life comes into the earth, happens through us in connection to the source of life itself. When we eat from the tree of life, right? The, that tree that represents the life-giving presence of God in the center of the garden. When we eat of that, it plants seed in us that bears fruit from our lives into the world. But it happens through that connection. I know we're in like all this imagery and metaphoric illustration when we think about this, but can you see it? You were made for connection with God, and that connection comes through walks in the garden, listening to his voice and obeying his commands. And the lordship of God gets expressed in the earth through human beings who are in right relationship with him. And so this fall, what it is, it's a falling away from the relationship. It's a choice to cut myself off from the very one who gives life itself and defines good and evil and go my own way and determine it for myself. And so you see, yeah, they don't drop dead, but the very next story. What's the next story in the scripture? Anybody who's been in in church for a little while, you should know. Cain and Abel. The first death recorded in Scripture is a murder. Death at the hands of another person. Not God. God doesn't kill Abel. Cain kills Abel. 
The first death in scripture is murder. A brother killing a brother provoked by jealousy, wanting what he has. And we see scripture, it catalogs for us the the, the spread of this death through human history, through the human experience. But what's wild, right, is that those very ones who were designed to cultivate beauty and life and fruitfulness in the world become the very ones who choose to be the instrument of the first death. We start to kill one another. I'm out for mine. This this thing, this tendency that we see where they go, we need to cover ourselves, we need to protect ourselves, we need to preserve ourselves, we need to hide, is that same spirit that causes me to go, there's not enough, I need more, I need more, I gotta hoard it in here, I gotta get my storehouse filled up, I need to build my wall around my city and get more stuff in here and keep you out. And that's the story of human history. To the point that there are systems and structures that, that develop that oppress and enslave people. You know, the whole thing progresses to the story of Egypt. The story of Egypt is a, is a nation, a superpower that, that whores to itself resource and enslaves people to serve it for its purposes. And the kingdom of God was supposed to be the exact opposite. Not enslaving, but in freedom, serving one another, self-giving. So in this narrative, what we're catching is this, this fall, this breakdown. It happens when we, fe- when, we, when we don't trust, but we take. We fall into that greed, that self-preservation, that me and mine forget you and yours. But I can't end there. So I'll leave a little hope and a preview for next week. And uh, it's, it's, it's later on when God speaks this curse over the serpent. And at the end of verse 15, it talks about how the seed of Eve was going to be at enmity with the serpent. And it says this, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So there's this hope that evil itself will be destroyed. But it, when it says that you will strike his heel, the picture is that this one who's going to crush the head of the serpent will also be wounded in the process. And there's this picture of self-sacrifice over self-preservation that's being previewed here. That if you're here in a church that worships Jesus, you probably know who is going to do that eventually. You know, Jesus is the one. But it's this idea evil is defeated through that self-giving love rather than that self-preservation. And we were made and designed to be these people through which self-giving love makes the world a beautiful place. To be conduits for the life of God to flow into the earth. But, the, but the, the tension we live in is will we trust or will we take? 
Will, will we submit to the Lord or will we carry on in our egotistical lordship complex and define it all for ourselves? So my hope today is like that we would remember we don't need to take by force what God gives by grace. And I was so blessed by a lot of lyrics this morning. You know, we opened with, with good, good father and we sang about this, this posture of trust. But my prayer would be as we close that we could maybe just wind it back to that state of paradise and see in your head the abundance of God, the provision of God. Right now, I want you to just take a breath. Just take a deep breath. That's grace. That's a gift. That's a generous father taking care of you. And we live in a world with more than enough. And yet we're constantly bombarded with the message that you won't have enough. There's not enough. There's not enough. You better freak out. You better start hoarding. You better start, you know. No. No. He's a good, good father. And so what I want us to do, just in closing, we are going to take, what time is it? Yeah, it's, it's not too late. We're going to take five minutes, okay? And I want to just put this question to us, and I want you guys to turn into groups of, you know, four people or so, okay? And I know for some of you, maybe you're like, whoa, I didn't know I was going to have to talk to anybody when I came here. Um, I would encourage you to, to, to hang out. You're made for relationship. You're made for connection. Life flourishes through it. And, um, and I want us to just explore this question. How have you seen this dynamic of take versus trust play out in life? Okay? So just, just you know, it's pretty open. It's a pretty big question. Um, but can we just take some time to go, okay, what, is, what does this actually look like? What does this play out like in my life? Or have I seen, how have I seen this play out? Because it is that, that thing that says I've got to take, I've got to do this on my own that causes the breakdown. All right. Go. Thank you for listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.